Welcome back, everyone, to Merge Conflict. Frank has no idea what's happening right now, but it is the first podcast with no hair James. Huh? Looking huh? good, buddy. You huh? look good. Huh? I didn't want to say it on the last podcast. That's not good to compliment your friends too often. Uh, so here, here's my one compliment. Looking good, buddy. Back to classic retro James. And uh, I did a little <laughs> YouTube chart just today. I just sent all of my hair out to... Um, uh, charity so uh, yep. that they can turn it into a wig uh it's for uh kids with uh children with hair loss is the charity i was going through a few there's like uh, wigs for kids and there's a bunch of other ones that are out there and i had about 10 to 12 inches of hair eight is kind of like the minimum some places want 10 some people places want 12 uh but this was uh pretty good it was a lot of hair nice. and three years of hair three and <laughs> change and yeah it was fun it was mixed bags when i went into get my hair cut. The person cut my hair was excited. I was donating it. The person next to them was like blasphemy. And then <laughs> the other person was kind of indifferent. So the, the three stylists. So, uh, uh, you know, they it know was it grows what it was. back, right? <laughs> I mean, if you're lucky enough, it grows back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The person that was like, blasphemy, <laughs> like, how dare you? And I was like, it can always grow back. They're like, but will it? Will and it? I was like, yeah, it will, it will based on the Montemagno lineage. Yes. It will grow back. Uh, in general, until maybe I'm about, 50s or so then it sort of thins but doesn't uh, maybe go to that length but done yeah and uh it's out there and i'm gonna keep it this way probably for a long time and we'll go from there so if you're watching this on the youtube you (laughs) can see that or any of my recent videos i I just wanted to surprise people and put out a video and like here it was boom and it's out we have uh it's it's great that you're donating. I have a friend that does that also. He grows out his long red hair, and so I'm sure wow. some people are lucky to get his hair. Um, my hair is not so great. I do want to cut mine also, so I hope to uh, follow in your footsteps. But um, my hair is atrocious, and I wouldn't wish it upon any child. <laughs> so I probably won't donate it. <laughs> yeah, and I was pretty lucky. While I do have some streaks of gray, there's some places that don't allow gray hair, but like mm-hmm. often they'll take it out and they go through stuff. But yeah, like it's it's an interesting process. But I'm sure that yeah. even Frank with your hair, people they turn into something great. You just got to condition it, put lots of conditioner in that hair. They got to take the gray out though. I feel bad for that intern. That intern's yeah. gonna have a rough day. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, it's like wigs. I think if they were to take your hair or my hair to turn into a wig, it's it's like several thousand dollars. Like it's like a yeah. production. It's like a huge thing. Anyways, that's that's fascinating. You know, it's what, actually why I didn't cut it for mm-hmm. a while because Heather had donated her hair a long time ago, and then she told me about that. So whoa, that's cool. So it wasn't the reason I grew out my hair, but it was a nice uh, mm-hmm. side effect of it. Uh, we have three things to talk about, Frank Krueger. Um, All right, I, I think three things. We're gonna break it down into kind of like not really a lightning talk, but like kind of a lightning-esque talk type of thing, it's, I think. It's it's always three things with you. You know, it can never just be one. That'd be boring. Two, both sides. And three, that's the right number, except for when it's lightning, yeah. Uh, I thought we were going to talk about one, so this is going to be fun. I'm excited to find no. out what the other two topics are. <laughs> Let's get the the first one out of the way, which is uh, Don at 8, RC1. It's available, Frank. I did a whole video on Don at Maui and RC <laughs> One, it was actually available, I guess, two two weeks ago. We kind of forgot about that somehow. We're talking about new iPhones and such. Uh, and we we talked about me installing the Dynet 9 preview and Alpha and all this other stuff. Uh, but it's out. And, you know, with the RCs, there's a go live license, which means that, you know, that's officially supported. So this week I spent some time 
and I upgraded some apps. I upgraded some .NET oh, Maui yeah. apps. I upgraded some APIs. Uh, I did a bunch of work. And surprisingly, it was pretty simple uh, in general. Uh, I did run into a few older projects, .NET 6 projects that were built off like the original templates. There was some quirks, <laughs> yeah. I would say, in some Windows-y packaging things and a few other attributes and things removed. But in general, it was pretty straightforward. Um, but I wanted to talk to you mostly, and, and maybe you know, maybe you don't know, is there's a lot of Mac Catalyst changes in this release. Do you know about these changes? Have you heard about these changes? Do you know what's up with these changes? Oh boy, I'm scared because I don't think I know what's up with these changes. I I, I was all prepared for a story about upgrading there, and now, and now you got me scared about Mac Catalyst. James, what's going on with Mac Catalyst? It was fine. Uh, I think in general, it's still fine. Okay, I don't want to put any um, <laughs> worries in your little brainium cranium, Frank Krueger, but there is some changes to the templates in File New Project that I think folks should sort of be aware of. Uh, and the yeah. first one specifically is in and around the architecture type of mm -hmm. your application. Okay. And you yeah. can change the architecture type more easily now uh, when you're creating the project. So by default, there's a big, there's actually a big blob inside of the projects <laughs> that says note for Mac Catalyst. It says the okay. default runtime is Mac Catalyst X64, except in release configuration, which case the default is Mac Catalyst X64, semicolon, Mac Catalyst ARM64. When specifying both architectures, use the plural runtime identifiers instead of the singular runtime identifier. The Mac yeah. App Store will not accept apps with only Mac Catalyst ARM64 indicated. Either both runtimes must be indicated or only Mac Catalyst X64. Can you actually yeah. decipher what, what the heck that means? Yes. No, I, yes. I kind of don't. I mean, I know X64, ARM64, but like, what yeah. is the rationale? What's going on back here? Okay, yeah, the, this is confusing because I got confused by this. Uh, it's probably been over a year now, but I was working on a native library. So taking a bunch of native code, and I wanted to run on all the platforms, including Mac Catalyst. But, okay, so here, let, let's just start with how is .NET organized? Because <laughs> we all know the target frameworks, like Net6, Net7, Net8. Those are our target frameworks. Now mm -hmm. we got Net8 hyphen iOS hyphen iOS simulator, hyphen Mac Catalyst, <laughs> all the hyphens, hyphen Android, hyphen whatever else you got. Um, do all those hyphens. Okay, those are still frameworks. And in a lot of ways, think of those as just sets of libraries. Hmm. We're still not talking about uh, the machine that it's running on. That's left over for the runtime identifiers. Uh -huh. So... In the past, with one project, you would have a target framework and a runtime identifier. The runtime identifier is almost always implied by the target framework. You target Windows, you're going to get a 64-bit app. You target Mac, you're going to get a 64-bit Intel app. Apple <laughs> went and pulled the curveball on everyone, switched processors. <laughs> and so now we're all still catching up a little bit. And um, so the runtime identifier uh would let you say now ARM64 on Mac. So you could do mm. that. And there <laughs> okay, so okay. All that works. Great. Fine. Lovely. <laughs> now let's talk about multi-targeting. 
this is yes. where like this is where the craziness starts to happen. So not only can you specify one framework in a project, you can specify multiple frameworks. And then just like multiple frameworks, you can special <laughs> specify multiple runtimes to use. Mm. And now think about that permutation or that combination cha- table that's going to come out from that. You can't say like, oh, I want Mac Catalyst ARM64 for iOS Android. No, that combination doesn't work. This combination doesn't work. That combination doesn't work. So there's just a lot of bookkeeping, basically, that they have to do. Um, basically, between NuGet, between MS Build, between the distribution system, between the hmm. workloads. So um, if if you build an app and you specify all these things, you'll notice it doesn't end up in your bin directory. It ends up in bin target framework slash runtime identifier. And that will be a specific build for that specific platform. It's all terrible. And then to throw all the real complications on top of it all, Apple wants those unified into a single executable. Hmm. And so... Um, what you see in front of you is the ridiculousness caused by large combination explosion between target frameworks, runtime identifiers, Apple Apple processors, and merging it all back into one exe in the end. Lovely, isn't it? I gotcha. This is this reminds me. If you're an Android developer, you could select the ABI um, that yeah. you wanted to support. So you would often put x64. ARM 6, ARM 7, ARM 8, et cetera, et cetera. And just like you're saying, so this is kind of reminiscent of that, is, is, is you would put that in a configuration. And then when you just built it and it bundled into one thing, you're like, here you go. Now, it's kind of different on Windows because if, if I'm bundling up a Windows app, I actually kind of like right-click publish, and then I select what do I want to output. And then yeah. what that normally does is it will like output like a bunch of different files and also give you like a merge thing that you upload to the store. So it sounds as though it's just happening to happen at different parts of the build publish cycle, basically, of selecting these things. And there's inherent defaults that I'm assuming are smart defaults, but if you might want to override those, for example. Yeah, and th- that's kind of what you're discussing here is the defaults changed um, yeah. because we've done this on iOS forever. We've had our ARM builds for the phone and then we've had mm. our X64 builds um, for the simulator. Simulators, yeah. The nice thing there was there were two different target frameworks to kind of distinguish between them. And so like NuGet packages could get away with only specifying the target framework and they would be um, if they had like native code. If you're just writing IL code, you're fine. That's just going to work everywhere. This, this is really only a problem with native code. Um, uh, people could get away with just putting the target framework. But I learned my lesson a year ago. Um, you really had to specify um, in the NuGet, like, not just the lib directory, not just lib slash target framework, but like lib slash target framework slash the runtime uh, identifier. Mm to really make sure that the right native bits are being put into the right spots and all that kind of stuff. And it's a little bit annoying from the library developer's point of view, but the good news is you just don't write native code that often, (laughs) ideally. Uh, So it's only stressful sometimes, but it is kind of terrible uh, from the library perspective. But from the app developer's perspective, uh, what I meant by the defaults changed is um, they didn't require the ARM version before. Because I think Apple was really pushing, take your iPad apps and run those 
on the M1 processors. But I think we're all like, I don't know, Apple platforms, like an OS is an OS. And I'd rather, if I'm going to have a Mac OS app, I think it would be good to have an M1 version of it. So I'm here for this. I'm excited for it. Yep. That makes sense. Well, they started, the, sorry, well, they the started other, doing it with Mac apps too. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. The thing that I was curious about also, there's another conditional in the templates that if you're in release, so, so now you can specify different, uh, code sign entitlements between the two platforms, but then additionally you can, or by default now, well, not, but I guess not by default, but now in the templates, at least it says use hardened runtime as true in release. So should you use a hardened runtime? Yes. Yeah, it's fine, everyone. Um, yeah, uh, that's been a, requ- okay, it hasn't been a requirement on Mac, um, like a hard, hard requirement. But even when I wrote AppStat like years ago, the mm. little menu app that tells you your app sales and all that kind of stuff, everyone go buy AppStat. It's on Gumroad. Um, uh, if you wanted to get your app signed by Apple, you had to have a hardened runtime. They were starting to enforce that on the operating system. And not so much enforce it, but you know, they would give you that the ugliest dialogue ever if you tried to run the app without the hardened runtime yeah. enabled. And it's an entitlement. Um, it's really not that bad. Um, it's uh, it's about as restrictive as the App Store has always been. Um, I think it, they're really just distinguishing. They're really locking down Mac apps these days versus how Mac apps used to run in the past. And I guess the question is, if I'm uploading it to the App Store, do I need the hardened runtime? Like or no, it's like implied. Basically, it doesn't. See, that's where I'm a little confused. I I think that they were going to start requiring the hardened runtime at some point, and I just don't know if that point has passed or if it's. Yeah, I don't know if it was five years ago or if it's two years in the future. I, I honestly can't tell you because um, I tend to just enable it just because, I, yeah, I, I play within the rule books. I don't, I'm not trying to do anything fancy with the OS. Gotcha. Uh, well, that's it. That's my update. Uh, I have a whole video on Donnie so you can go take a look at that. And of course, uh, um, what can I tell you? update your apps. I- I just updated my apps from three. <laughs> I was trying to get an old CI working. And I'm like, oh, wow, this, this CI is using .NET 5. I should upgrade that to at least .NET 7. Yeah, I should have updated to 8, but at least up to 7. And then I realized, like, there were projects in there that were targeting .NET 3. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that was a little embarrassing. I just kind of hopped in, changed that net app 3.0 to a net 7.0 and everything worked fine. And I moved on with my life. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I think one thing that's been nice going now in the RCs to make it easier, like it's easier to get like the GitHub actions working to get code spaces working. And just like all that stuff has been pretty seamless for me. Cause now you're just like, Oh, I've just changed seven to eight. And you're like, yeah, it just basically works, which is really nice. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Steven Tobes annual performance improvements blog is out. So if you missed that and you have, a about a year to read it, you can start now Yeah. So by the time .NET nine's out, you're, you're good to go about all the improvements and .NET eight, which is cool. And then that's not even including, um, the, the team is always putting out more blogs on your .NET Maui arm updates, you know, all there's the things that's just like the base of it, which is kind of wild. So. I think about two years ago, we at least tried to get through most of the blog. And then I don't think we even tried last year 
And then I'm not sure I have even opened it this year. I am so sorry. I do want to read it. Um, I feel like I need to like get a book printed of like the last five years of these things. So I can just sit by the fireplace and read through .NET performance numbers. Yes. Uh, I think last year I worked with Steven and uh, Nish and then we made a, a PDF out of it, which was mm-hmm. nice. Like official one. Yeah. It was like really nice. You put it like on your Kindle or whatever. Oh, I got to do it this year for him. He asked me about that. I got to figure out how to do that again. <laughs> um, but yes. Uh, anyways, go read that stuff. I'll put some links somewhere. Probably um, just you know go to dot dot net and you're, you're good to go. Um, but yeah. Uh, sure okay. it's fast. Um, there was a Windows event talking about new things in the world of Microsoft. There was an AI plus Surface event, uh, which was mostly AI related. Um, I like started with the hardware first. New no. laptop? Yeah, always hardware first, man. I'm I'm here for the hardware. I'm always here for three, the hardware. Three new pieces of hardware. I want to say a Surface, a Surface Laptop Go, a Go. Surface Studio, Surface Studio Laptop, Studio. and a Surface, a four, like a, and a Surface Enterprisey thingy <laughs> in general. Yeah, Surface Go, you know, Surface Go, yeah, Surface Go, Surface Laptop Go. Surface yeah. Studio laptop, and then the Surface, which is the big enterprise service. Oof, there's only one that we really care about because for me, <laughs> it's really the Surface Studio laptop, which uh, to me is like okay. the killer dev device. Handsome is always raving about it. That's the dev. Okay, what, well, it's a, uh, okay, it's a big it's, one. Okay, so the Go is your is your lightweight kind of iPad competitor almost, right? Does that still have the light keyboard and everything and is detachable keyboard and all that? yes correct the the surface go yes good um that's what i have love it (laughs) mine's so old (laughs) mine's super old at this point (laughs) yeah the first Um, one this one is that one they said okay they said it's 100 faster than the original that's what they said i i kind of believe it um how how could it not be no i'm just kidding yeah um, okay, so what was the dev one and contrast that with the other one? Because now I'm all confused in the naming scheme. Ah, the Surface Laptop Go is the Surface Go, but with a in a laptop form. So it's it's the same, but it has a dedicated keyboard. You know, uh, keyboard attached okay. to it fully 100 percent It's a laptop, smaller, 12-inch, boom. Comparable to not gonna say a MacBook Air, but kind mm-hmm. of going for the student-esque, you know, lower budget, lower entry. And then between that, the next step up would be the Surface Laptop. So Surface Laptop Go, Surface Laptop, which is the one I have. I have a Surface Laptop 4. There's no new ones of those, but there was a 5 last year. And then one up from that would be the Surface Studio Studio? Laptop. Okay. Two. Surface Studio laptop too. Mr. Hanselman was raving about. Not that he's getting a commission or anything, but I, I did I did notice him raving about it. Um, so what what what's hot and new? So uh, this one has like the latest processor in it. It has um, more ports, and then I think upgraded GPU. And then there's two yeah. uh, two big things. Uh, one is, I think there's like new, new, like inking and stuff that's on it. And like the little, the little pen like hides underneath and it like can be charged, mm-hmm. whatever. But 
the number one feature that uh, everyone's raving about is the uh, touchpad. And additionally, this year, one of the major features that they talked about was accessibility. Uh, they actually had someone on stage who was born without fingers and on one hand, and it's really hard for them to use and almost nearly impossible to use the uh, trackpad because of palm detection. Uh, you know, when you're, when you are built into every, uh, uh, thing is basically palm detection that will, will ignore that. That's really hard because that's, you know, uh, if you look, if you think of their hand, right. Accessibility wise. So normally they'd have to use a special mouse with different attachments, X, Y, Z, but this, uh, brand new service studio laptop, uh, trackpad was built with this in mind. You can actually disable and put it into an accessibility mode to turn off that and really fine grain control the haptics that are happening inside of that in general. And people said it's like the best trackpad ever. And, you know, if you do have a laptop and you're doing it a lot, then, you know, this is it. So I think it's like a worthy update just because it has all the mm -hmm. latest and greatest. It's been a few years since the original one. But the other bigger killer feature for me is that the first time <clears throat> in a surface line, you can get up to 64 gigs of RAM yeah. in this puppy. Okay. Well, yeah, that that's kind of, you should have led with that. Yeah, the, the mouse thing, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, the mouse thing's interesting because um, even a uh, capacitive touch, which is what all these things are using, it took a while, like we had sensors for those for years, but mm -hmm. it took a while for the software to get good enough to be able to like, yeah, do palm rejection, figure out what's a finger, what's what's an actual motion across it and things like that. And it was all just based on heuristics, you know, a, a finger is about this size. And so we do this stuff. And so it's super cool to see that we're breaking out of the established heuristics and trying some new things there. And it's also good to know that Microsoft's making a good uh, uh, touch because uh, that was always Apple's on uh, Apple's uh premier feature on all the laptops yes. is always the touchpad. So it's, it's good yeah. that uh, Microsoft has some competition there. Yeah, it's good. They're, they're building in, they have a, you know, they have a, the fingerprint unlock and they have a bunch of other features. Yeah. So it's like nice if, if I, you know, if I'm buying a surface, if I'm buying a windows laptop, I'm not a gamer, so I'm not buying a gaming laptop, but the yeah. surface laptop or the super studio laptop would be the ones that I would purchase. Uh, inspect them out um, for it cool. because I love my Surface Laptop 4. It's fully spec'd out. This is my work machine, and I really, really like it. Uh, and I take it everywhere with me, obviously, for work, but um, it's yeah. my main driver. I have a, I have a Volterra machine here, um, for which is ARM-based Windows, for my main desktop machine for work, but on the go, which I am quite often, the Surface Laptop 4 is my go-to. Well, I love that when we first started this podcast, we would never talk about machine learning and AI. And then slowly I would beg you and we would talk about it once in a while. And now it seems like every episode has it. Um, yeah. So I have to ask number one, and this might be too specific, maybe you don't know, but like, can you get NVIDIA GPUs on those laptops? I think that's like coming from neural networks. The, <laughs> uh, like you just, you need that disgusting NVIDIA stuff on your computer. Otherwise, it's hard to get anything done. Um, you totally can get other libraries to work with other hardware, but you really want that kind of stuff. And so Microsoft made a bunch of AI announcements, and I'm just thinking in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, I wonder what kind of GPUs they're putting on these machines. Well, I will tell you. But first, let's take a break and thank our sponsor this week, Sync Fusion. Listen, are you looking to infuse your apps with beautiful 
controls. Maybe you're building some AI stuff. Well, Sync Fusion's got you covered. They have controls for every single type of application, whether you're building for beautiful Surface Laptop Studio. Said it totally wrong, by the way. Surface Laptop Studios. Or you're building it for the Surface Goes. Who knows? Or you're <laughs> building it for a Mac or a Windows machine or the web or an Android device or an iOS device or anything. They got controls no matter what you're building with, with .NET, with web stuff, with fluttery stuff, with whatever stuff. <laughs> It'll work everywhere. I've been using Fusion in all my applications for over 15 years. I simply love it. From my first job to my latest job, I love Sync Fusion because they're with me, not only for great controls that I can flesh out my applications with, but for also all sorts of processing, PDFs, Excel, Word documents, all that good stuff built in. Head to syncfusion.com forward slash merge conflict to learn more. That's syncfusion.com forward slash merge conflict. Thanks to Sync Fusion for sponsoring this week's pod. All right, Frank, there are two big things that are inside the Surface Laptop Studio too. One, yes, you can get a GeForce RTX for 4050 or 4060. And additionally, may I add, may I add, mm -hmm. in the Surface Laptop Studio 2, there is a neural processing unit, an NPU. <laughs> Where is it? All that, because it's Who in knows? my, it's in my, it's in here. It's in oh, this puppy. It's in, no, 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 no. It's in my Volterra. That was the big thing. Remember, there was, there was a, right. a right. neural NPU. Neural, <laughs> neur neural. I oh, know it's in there. there Can I there's something you? in there? It's in there. I'm a little bit annoyed with neural engines. Can we take a little side tangent down a little side okay. road? Let's do it, Frank. All right. In the future, we need these neural engines because GPUs are just the wrong thing. They're big power waste. They're all these bad things. But I've been working on an app on iOS. And it runs a neural network. And it's trying to run the neural network in real time. It's trying mm. to run it at like 30 frames per second, which is a lot task out of a poor little neural network. They're trying to do a lot. You know, it's a lot of math to be done. Um, and I was so happy because it was running great on my iPad and um, on the neural engine on an M1 processor running at real time. I put it over on the phone and it's running at eight frames per second and it's overflowing numerically. Like the numbers are wrong too. So it's slow and it's wrong. And if you force it, because you can control these things, you can um, tell it run on the GPU only, switch these modes and everything. You can get it to run normally, but it runs more slowly, even more slowly, mm -hmm it's not running on the neural engine so my little side tangent road is i'm very excited that everyone's putting neural engines into everything but mm -hmm. my my little my frustration right now is i'm frustrated with them right now <laughs> because um they're, they're not a silver bullet uh they don't make everything super easy and super fast i can't just take a neural network that i get off the street one that falls off the back of a bus you know, I can't just happen upon a neural network and throw it onto my neural engine and it just works. It yeah. actually still requires a lot of engineering and skill. And I hate engineering and skill. And so side tangents over. Great job, Microsoft. I can't wait to use your neural engine. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that the neural engine, the, the processor will just start to be more Windows devices and it'll go longer. I think it'll probably be things that are maybe more built into the OS, like camera stuff and backgrounds, maybe different APIs devs can use, you know, things that need that processing. So I'm not really sure exactly where it's going. But that's at least how they demoed it at yeah. least. So I'll be fascinated to see how it goes. But they did also announce a bunch of AI stuff. And maybe that's what's powering some of that stuff. But pretty much they've uh, re they 
the company I work for, the mm-hmm. they, uh, <laughs> I don't work for this division, so I don't know what's going on. But uh, all of the things have been rebranded into just Copilot in general. They, they spent a lot of time with yeah. Copilot. They talked about Dolly 3. I don't know if you've heard about Dolly Ooh. 3. They showed, showed a side-by-side of Dolly 2 versus Dolly 3 now built into Bing GPT like, shenanigans. Hey, if you thought civilization was going to end with Dolly 2, Dolly 3 can get text correct. Like the, the text in the image. Really? Wow. Wow. Yeah. So oh, wow. it is going to be the ultimate meme generator and um, use it only for good and awesome people. Um, be careful with that one. It's going to wow. be, it's going to be good. It's scary. That is cool. I'm waiting for the Bing image creator, which is powered by Dolly. Yeah. I don't know if they updated it yet because that's cool. Even, even just doing numbers, yeah. it would really struggle with like, like put the letter, you know, the number right. eight in there. It's like, I don't know if I can well, do that. Or he's like really weird. I mean, just, just, it's really weird. Give the poor neural network a break. No. It not only has to like understand language, but now it under has to understand typography. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> and style. Oh gosh. We, we ask so much of these little things. Of course. Uh, no, I don't. These are not running on your computer. These are running on giant servers with many, many TPUs of power. Who mm-hmm. knows? I'm sure Microsoft's going to start building real TPUs at some point. Um, I, I'm a little jealous because I haven't even gotten access to Dolly 3. So if you get access before me, I'm going to be very upset. But hopefully I'll, I'll have that first. It's nice that they're integrating it because it really is a big step forward. It seems pretty cool. I was, they, they showed some side-by-side comparisons. and That was really neat. The Copilot stuff all seemed cool. I mean, it's in Office 365. Let me ask Summarizing you. emails, doing stuff. That seems good. Not your division, but uh, it's it's your brand. Is, is Cortana gone? Is it all Copilot then? I, I, I'm pretty sure like Cortana, I'd have to look at the announcements. I remember there was something about it, like the, the apps or whatever was left of Cortana going away, basically, instead of an assistant, yeah. it was a Copilot. I don't need well, I know they, a co-pilot by my side at all times. Yeah, no, I just there. Honestly, I uh, yes, please do integrate these things into the OS. Apple, Apple, listen. Apple, compete with Microsoft, please, because you're, look, I'm not going to jump ship to back to Windows, but you're just going to make me jealous and guilty feeling with you, with you and your co-pilot everywhere. I want co-pilot everywhere. Uh, Apple does have an update to the Mac. It will predict one word ahead of you in pretty much every text box. Wow. One word. One word. I have, uh, it's fun. You know, it's, it's always hard for me to talk about what I see and what I don't see. Cause obviously <laughs> in, it's like dog fooding, we get to see stuff ahead of yeah. time, but then I'm like, not really sure what's there, what's not there. So, uh, but I am excited to use it in at work because I do believe that there's, a lot of things like summarizing emails or meetings or uh, you know doing graphs and charting and enhancing PowerPoint presentations, stuff that's like tedious work that I shouldn't spend a lot of time with. But it's like, hopefully that part will just make it better. So instead of having to, you know, spend time on that or try to ask a designer for help on stuff, maybe it'll get me closer to what I want, you know, or make it easier okay, when but- I do need to go to designer to do that stuff. Have, have, have you ever seen that graph of the length of legal documents over time? There's just a graph mm. of, you know, from 1910 up to whatever year this happens to be right now. 
and it goes up. It's a goes up graph. They usually are over time. But there is, it goes up in a ridiculous way around the year 1971. Do you know what happened in 1971? The internet. No. Word no. processor was yeah. oh. <laughs> the type. <laughs> so like typewriter sped it up. Word processor really sped it up. All of a sudden, pew, people are shooting out longer and longer documents. And now we have Apple terms and services that are 30,000 pages long that absolutely no one can read. That is all my preface to say, James, as you are generating emails and PowerPoint presentations, please try not to enter more banality into the world. Try to use Copilot to make your emails and presentations awesome, not yes. blah, not just mud. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm afraid of like this mud of documents, auto-generated documents being cast out into like Microsoft. Microsoft will stop writing any software because everyone's just auto-generating emails to each other. So just... <laughs> I use it to save time, but also use it to make it awesome. Be like, okay, please generate for me a PowerPoint presentation. And then when it's done, be like, okay, but make that a thousand times better. And <laughs> yeah. then make it do that. Because like, That'd it's a cool. robot, dude. You can be mean to it. You can just be like, nope, better. Even better. More graphics. Uh, animations. So like, use it for good and awesome only. I'll try my best, Frank. I'll do it again. I'll try it out. Um, yeah, that that's the, the biggest Anything else from the, the the event that you saw that you watched? That you did some stuff on. Well, they di- they did show um, running neural networks on uh, the computer. So all these hmm. big ones, you're talking to a server. You're sending your the WinForms demo to a server. Yeah, the WinForms demo. I made fun of it a little bit on Twitter, but all in good faith. I hope everyone knows because it was the most classic WinForms looking app in the whole planet, and it just. Oh, I just, I just sighed in a happy little sigh. I'm like, oh, look how everything's unaligned. It's beautiful. Um, <laughs> but they had, uh, the important thing was the neural network running on the computer. But the fun thing was the UI. <laughs> Powered by .NET, baby. Uh, that's how you, that's a, there was, I think the, the one before that, I think there was like a WPF uh, demo or there was like another one that had WinForms. I like, I love it. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. They're like, hey, this they're, is realistic. We know you're writing WinForms app. So boom, done. There is a color selector on WinForms. There is a font selector on WinForms. You can make well, a good-looking app on WinForms. They had custom borders on those buttons and custom fonts on those on those buttons, I'm pretty sure. They did bold and fake italics, not real italics, fake. They did <laughs> the slanted italics. Amazing. And nothing was it. lined up. I think someone tried to recreate it on Twitter as well. I think they were like doing a design challenge. Can you recreate this WinForms? Oh, yeah. that's amazing. Pretty good. Yeah. We should have a, we'll start a Reddit thread, improve this WinForms app. <laughs> there you go. I like that. Well, moving from um, .NET-y stuff that runs everywhere to Microsoft-y stuff, let's hop over to the apple stuff. The new iPhones and iOS 17 came out. I got the notification on uh, my phone that it's done. It's here. It's happening. And I want to talk a little bit just maybe about some of the highlights for developers that you might want to be like, hey, um, maybe I want to incorporate this app in my app. Uh, the first thing you should do is test your app. Make sure that it works. Yeah. In fact, you probably should have been testing your app for the last seven months like I have and all my apps work beautifully. So your apps work beautifully, right, Frank, because you've also been testing all of your apps the entire way because, mm. you know, your livelihood relies on your apps. Mine doesn't. Mine are, mine are numbers on screens. 
But I'm assuming, Frank, that you've been diligent in the testing of your applications. It's it's been a hard summer, James, and um, <clears throat> the beta summer got me. I, I had the betas installed, but oh no. Okay, here here. Long story short, no, my app keeps crashing on iOS 17, and I'm super embarrassed. I'm talking about uh, continuous, my IDE, my C sharp and F sharp IDE crashes it has a crashing bug on ios 17 i did not catch it during the beta because i was so busy working on a vision os app because i want to be a vision os <laughs> developer that i neglected my apps i'm a bad app developer but um i feel completely guilty about it i'm working my butt off to get a fix out there uh so i do highly recommend everyone if you have apps on the store make sure you run every single one of them on the latest release and you know what the problem is? This was a this was a pretty smooth beta, but it wasn't perfect. In the early betas, my apps had um, other bugs too. And then in the later betas, like things would just clear up. I wouldn't get errors mm-hmm. anymore. Everything would run normally. And so I tend, I tend, I tend, that's the excuse I'm going with. There's too many false positives, therefore I don't test at all. Yeah, that's that's great. No, so what I have to remind myself next year is even though there are false positives, you still have to keep testing diligently up to the very end because they got me, they changed something, and now I got to get a uh, release out ASAP. Yeah, and I believe that also I was reading some things that between the last preview and the GA release, uh, it might have been an Xcode or the SDK or something. Uh, and iOS itself, they removed an API, uh, which was in oh. news kit or newsletter kit or news, some newspaper, something I was reading on mm-hmm. it. And that was causing a lot of crashes for people because it wasn't getting linked, like the linker, however it worked, just however the build mm-hmm. stuff works and it would crash because it's like this API doesn't exist, blah, 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 blah. So there were some steps on there, how to remove that you know, as you're waiting for the final bits to get it out. So that was kind of a an odd one. Now I have not done any recompilation because I'm super duper lazy. Uh, and <laughs> I have not even installed Xcode 15 cause I'm that lazy. However, oh. I do obviously test all my apps. You know, I go for the winter. I like to wait for the winter. And if that oh, winter God. comes early, because if the winter <laughs> comes early because my apps are crashing, then that's something. Um, yeah. but, uh, one thing I noticed that I think is really cool for developers and maybe none of us are doing this uh, because at least in the .NET world, you'd have to build this in Swift, which is widgets. Uh, and mm-hmm. this is really neat. They actually introduced, which I didn't even realize, but I was on my phone and I was putting away my keys and I have a bunch of widgets on my home screen. And I have one for Pocket Cast, which is my podcast uh, player. And uh, there was a little play button on there. And I didn't really realize yeah. that my butt, my finger accidentally hovered over it and it started <laughs> playing a podcast. And I was like, oh no, like audio came out. So I went to go swipe away the app. The app was not launched. The widget was playing the thing. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Like this is wild. And that's the, the interactive elements. You can now add interactivity directly into your widgets and live activities, which is super duper neat. And you know, this reminds me of, I know Android users are like, we've cut, we could have done this for <laughs> the last 18 years, which is totally true. You can make interactive widgets, totally true. But I think for iOS, since iOS you know, 17 just dropped, this is a pretty cool feature. 
Yeah, um, it was such a cool feature that I was actually thinking like, why am I trying to be a Vision OS developer? I should just be a widget app developer because it's almost like a whole new interface. It's a whole new place to play. And honestly, I think like hell has frozen over. I really didn't think Apple would ever do this, add interactivity to the widget system. But I guess they keep throwing more into widgets. So I guess... We're going to keep getting them. I really think I should have been working on like a Super Mario Brothers ripoff or something that you can just play inside a widget. That'd be cool. Because like, who knows if any of like the content stuff works for widgets, like, you know, like game content stuff. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I look forward to the new crazy world we're going to live in where apps are just on the screen. It's going to be terrible. I, we'll, we'll see which apps actually survive my home screen. But uh, I'm also interested in forever I've wanted to be able to put um, some stupid little app on the screen. So I just have to go back through my brain and think about all the apps I've dismissed because it was never a possible technology before. But man, now that this is happening, I mean, what's next? Are they going to allow us to put watch faces on the watch? Who knows? Who knows? It's crazy. I think what's that app that you built for the watch? Uh, space, Spacey? Mm-hmm. Spacey. Spacey should come back as a widget app. Yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we put it right there. Game on it. Boom. Dun, 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 dun. I uh, mean, so everyone, I that was neat. everyone just wants to play an infinite dungeon roguelike game, right? So, like, that should just be always on your home screen. Just infinite rogue. Boop, boop, yeah. boop. <laughs> I think that there's opportunities here. And that's why I kind of wanted to mention is that it is sort of a new UI for developers mm-hmm. to tap into. It was just displaying data before, which is also good. But now I, I think that there's opportunities to do the things that you're saying. So I I think just like, while this has been available on Android for a long time, mm-hmm. I think for an iOS developer, uh, this might be something to double tap on and definitely do that. And like, you can put stuff, you know, all over the mm-hmm. place and live activities and which are built with widget kit and activity kit are now available on iPad. So there's all sorts of stuff that's happening. And the other thing I noticed too, is that Apple is really diving deeper into app shortcuts, which is sort of like deep linking and doing yeah. things. And that's mostly because the iPad, sorry, the iPhone 15 pro has that new button. And one of the things that they really talked about in the the, the video, which we didn't really talk about in our, our, our video last mm-hmm. week or whatever, is that you can launch a app shortcut. So they're marketing the button as, yeah, we've provided you a few niceties like the flashlight and blah, 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 camera. But if an app, app developers, supports app shortcuts, then you can, for all intents and purposes, now turn that thing into anything you want, uh, which is really yeah. rad. In fact, I use this app called Card Pointers, which uh, gives you uh, recommendations for your credit cards for to maximize your points. And often what you have to do is you have to like launch it, see where you're at, blah, blah, blah. But now the developer added some app shortcuts. So you can just one tap on it. Mm-hmm. If you're out and about, it'll bring up kind of like the, the, the VR mode that will like show you, like just point out where you're at, hit that button. And then it'll tell you what credit card to use to maximize your points, which is pretty <laughs> cool in general. So, you know, I'm just saying there's probably little things that you could do <laughs> in the app shortcuts. If you have that type of app, like for example, the cadence application, my cadence, Wow, I shouldn't add, add an app shortcut that's like start an start a thing, right? Boom, that'd be cool. Yeah, um, I mean, uh-huh. 
you should add shortcuts for a million things. Like, yeah. I mean, between user activities and shortcuts, those are the main ways apps talk to the outside world these days. Um, the share sheet interacts with them. Um, as you said, like just the whole scripting thing that you can do with shortcuts, you know, chaining them all together, making them conditional, having triggers run them. If your app should at all take part in those, you're probably already deep into this. Um, but it is nice that that button's finally going to be semi-programmable now. I tend not to like over-customize things, but I am thinking of horrendous scripts that it should run of like a million things it should do in a million different apps. I'm going to try to keep it a little cool, but I'm going to have fun also in the beginning. I don't support too many in my apps. My apps don't lend themselves 100% to that paradigm. But um, some new apps I'm working on, I've definitely looked into shortcuts between like sharing with Mac, handling handoff, making sure you're cloud compatible, making sure that you're Siri compatible, making sure that you're restorable, making sure all these things are happening. You just kind of have to like dive into all these things. So yeah, super highly recommended. Um, You know, what I was also thinking about was on the watch, they have the um, gesture sense, um, gesture recognition now. Mm. So single tap, double tap, I think making a fist, I think is a gesture. yeah. Yeah. And so I've been meaning to look into like, how you how you capture those events in an app. I can't quite tell if they're only OS level events. Do they interact with the shortcut system? Perhaps like the button on the phone is going to. I think that's always kind of the problem with Apple. They have like five or six different ways apps talk to each other and the OS talks to apps and you always got to figure out which one it is. But it's kind of fun to see um, all the things the OS will provide your app if you opt into the, all those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing in this one that I've been noticing, been diving through the release notes, there's Hmm. quite small changes or some big changes like we've been kind of talking about, but the one biggest one so far that I have to mention, Frank, Uh because it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a merge conflict and James talking about (laughs) iOS APIs. If we weren't talking about StoreKid, that's right. Our good friend StoreKid getting a huge update. Um, I'm not happy about any in-app purchase updates uh-huh. ever. Stop it, everybody. Stop updating stuff. Why? No, um, prob- <laughs> I don't know, because then I got to change Didn't we do a whole episode begging people not to change? No, not you. I- I'm a- I'm on your side. Didn't yeah. we like beg everyone? Stop changing your store APIs. It's a shopping cart. Stop making there it so hard. is a lot. Google changed a lot <laughs> recently. Apple changed a lot. There's new features. There's changes. There's new stuff in <laughs> StoreKit 2 only. I'm waiting for them to drop StoreKit 1. They fixed a bunch of stuff, which means probably anything that I had hacky workarounds for. There's other stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's just say there's a lot of changes in this puppy. There's some new APIs like you can now. Anything easily, standing out? Yeah. Yeah. Show manage subscriptions. There's a new API to allow your users to easily show subscriptions and groups and all this stuff. That's nice. Um, mm-hmm. That's a good one. Um, that's pretty much pretty much it. That's there's great. <laughs> there's a lot of new stuff, though, I would say in the in-app subscriptions and store kits around displaying different uh, things in, in, in the app automatically. That makes it a lot easier. We talked about that before. Uh, so I do think that's nice, but it is a significant, when you go through the release notes, like it's, it's a significant uh, chunk of change, yeah. um, which is not great. And it makes me sad. I mean, You're making the 
face that I, I I make also because but for her unrelated one for the augmented reality changes, they just they completely changed how AR kit works. Uh, mm. I think I did we spend a whole episode on it or maybe a half an episode, but it continues to boggle my mind. Uh, the worst part is like they changed it obviously to be in line with Vision OS and for all that to be good, but the APIs aren't even 100% compatible between them. So for example, if you want to do a custom shader to render your awesome 3D object Mm. in an awesome, cool, fancy way, you got to write it one way for iOS and one way for Vision OS because yay. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And that's all on top of... uh, I I think I finally found it in their docs, uh, their upgrade advice for upgrading from old AR kit to new AR kit. And they said something along the lines of, you should rethink how your app renders its AR content. And I'm like, huh, Mm. Huh. I guess I will rethink how my app renders its AR content. (laughs) Yeah. All right. All right. So, yeah. So uh, I just wanted to brighten your mood with a little shock and fright here. So I saw you had the frowny face. I just wanted to tell you about my frowny face. (laughs) Good. I like that. I like like frowny faces on the near end of every podcast. (laughs) Uh, I will say that I used for the first time uh, PassKit and logging into an Apple website. And it's a very lackluster experience. And you have to like scan a QR code and then you like log in on your phone. Like, I don't know. I'm like, mm. oh, it's very odd. But there's a bunch of new authentication APIs in iOS 17. There is a new tip kit, which is like about building tips and like introductory templates and stuff. I really actually do think onboarding of applications is very, very important. So I'm happy to see this be part of the system. And I would love someone yeah. to create a cross-platform tip kit if you're out there, people. <laughs> That'd be cool. And ideally, you hover over elements and do stuff. So I think stuff like that is important to be built into the some sort of framework because onboarding people onto applications is super important. And if we can make that better for everyone, why not? Uh, that was good that you brought that up. I totally, I, I remember them mentioning it. I think I read a little bit about it. And then I totally forgot about it. Thank you for bringing it back up. I did a presentation for a conference probably literally 10 years ago now um, where when um, Await first started working on uh, uh, Monotouch on Xamarin iOS back in the day. We didn't have async Await back in the day. And when we first got it, I'm like, look at all these amazing things you could do. And the first thing I did was like a big tooltips overlay, walk you through the app. It would Mm. highlight something. It would async await for you to click on it, and then it would, you know, pop up something else, and async await for you to do something else. And it was my little tutorial thing, and I, I always kicked myself for not like turning it into a good library that I used in all my apps. So maybe Apple's done it for me, or maybe I'm just gonna ma- make me make me want to actually finish my own that I started ten years ago. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Um. I'd like to go see that talk. That'd be a good talk. That'd be pretty cool to actually if see if we can find it, dig it, dig it out. It was a mono, um, space, mono, mono space, mono space. Thank you. Monkey Scott space, there. monkey space. Monkeys. It was one or the other. Cause it changed names. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's that old, depending on how old it was. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to talk about in the I- iOS stuff? 17. I mean, you, at this point, you're not really integrating new features. You're just trying to get your app to work. 
Yeah, so uh, step one, recover. <laughs> step two, accelerate. <laughs> yeah, um, there you go. Yeah, uh, but honestly, um, there weren't any real like, huge groundbreaking features in iOS 17. You can tell they, they put a lot of their attention into Vision OS and things like that. And so I think that's the, my other excuse. I'm just keeping coming up with excuses for my, why my app crashes was um, the OS seemed pretty stable, honestly, from an app yeah. developer's point of view. Uh, so I wasn't anticipating this. And so, no, uh, get back onto my feet and then <laughs> start adding new features. I agree. I participated in almost all the developer previews and betas. And yeah, it was a pretty solid, uh, maybe because of that, right? They didn't change that that much. I mean, there was a few things mm-hmm. obviously removed and, and updated, but in general, pretty solid. Uh, but yes, go off and upgrade. All the upgrading, .NET 8 upgrades, <laughs> iOS 17 upgrades, laptop upgrades, neural network upgrades, all the upgrades, Frank. <laughs> Frank did I, got a car upgrade, I got a haircut upgrade. Boom, all the upgrades. I was trying to download the Apple upgrades over uh, hotel Wi-Fi. It did not go well. It, it went was... from two hours to two weeks to four hours to 30 minutes. To You'll, ne- it, uh, you'll never get this update, Frank. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, all right updated uh, well i think i think 52 minutes in i think we're gonna wrap it folks let us know what your favorite features of any of the stuff that we talked about today is have you upgraded stuff is your stuff working is it great let us know go to mergeconflict.fm you can find a contact button you can find twitter buttons you can find youtube buttons you can watch this on youtube if you are not uh you just find it merge conflict <laughs> if you can listen to it on a podcast app you can rate it or you can review it share it with a friend um and you can become a Patreon. We have a bonus episode. Yeah. This week we talked about garbage cans. So if you're interested in that type of deep discussion, check out patreon.com forward slash mergeconflict.fm. You can find a, a support button at the top or the bottom of the show notes wherever you're at. But that's going to do it for this week's Merch Conflict. Until next time, And I'm Frank Kruger. Thanks for watching and listening. Peace. Peace.